Bible reading today is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 31. Just as a body through one has many parts, but all its many parts, sorry, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even though the body, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of hearing uh, smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then t gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Hello, everyone. Hello. Nice to be with you. Um, my name's Mark, as per the name tag, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome if you're visiting tonight, particularly uh, here for Tim and Kathy's baptism. Uh, there are only two of us pastors here tonight. Some of the other elders are here. Uh, but Pastor Rod, who's our senior pastor, is not here tonight. He is down, actually he's probably on the road. He's been down at Nowra Baptist Church uh, today, preaching down there. Uh, they are, as it happens, going through the book of 1 Corinthians as well, and they don't have a pastor at the moment. So Rod and Ken and myself are helping out, visiting, preaching down there a little bit over the course of this term. Rod's been there today. I'll be there next week. Ken will be there, I think, a couple of weeks after that. Uh, so uh, just so you know, I'm going to pray. Ask for God's help as we get into this passage. I might also pray for Nowra Baptist as well and for their time in God's word today. So join with me. Great God, thank you so much for your word. I uh, thank you that it is a light to our paths and a lamp to our feet. Uh, Lord, please would you illuminate that path to us now as we read it. 
God, thank you for the opportunity to share and to encourage with Nara Baptists as well. We pray for those brothers and sisters uh, who don't yet have a full-time shepherd. Uh, Lord, please would you raise up the right person to lead that congregation. And uh, we pray that you'd please protect them and keep them strong in your word in this time. Uh, Please be with us now by your spirit. Help us to believe the things that we are reading and to live in light of them for the sake of Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you may already think this, but I'll tell you anyway, your body's a miracle. And I'm not complimenting you in particular about that. That's true of all of us. Your body is an absolute miracle. Have you ever stopped and think about this? The, just the things that your body is doing, even right this second, to keep you alive and listening and functioning and seeing, like, it is mind-blowing just what a miracle your body is. Uh, there are, you may know this, 37 trillion cells in your body, approximately. Give or take a couple. And uh, e- every second, 25 million of those cells are being replenished. 25 million a second. Over the course of a month, the entirety of the skin on your body is replaced fresh. Isn't that astounding? You don't even think about that, but that's happening even when you sleep. It's happening right now. It's been happening for every second of this service. Your body is a miracle, isn't it? Uh, right now, you can't hear it or really sense it at all, but your kidneys are filtering liquid through them to keep you healthy. Over the course of today, your kidneys will have filtered about 180 litres of liquid just to keep you healthy. How good is that? Your body's just doing that to keep you alive, and you don't even have to think about it. What a miracle that is. Uh, your heart, on the other hand, your heart's working a lot harder than your kidneys are. Your heart today is going to pump about 7,500 litres of blood through it, down the 100,000 kilometers of blood vessels that are inside your body. Your body is a miracle. It's doing ridiculous things right now just to keep you alive. And I reckon you take it for granted. I certainly take it for granted. We don't think about that kind of stuff until it starts going wrong. And usually that happens as you get older. Now, uh, you may have noticed that my hair is graying these days, and I certainly put myself in that category of being more and more aware of how much I've taken my body for granted over the years. Because things happen as you get older. You wake up one day and your neck has just you know, had a little meeting with the rest of your body overnight and decided that it's going to take the, the week off and it's not going to work for the rest of the week. It's just, And you're going to have to walk around like a scarecrow for the rest of the week for no apparent reason. You realise, boy, I took my neck for granted until now. Or your memory, which until this point has been so sharp, and you can remember the, the, the smallest details and every single person's name, and then suddenly you start to realise that you just can't remember your PIN number anymore. And maybe that's just me, but you do realise that you are taking your body for granted, I think. I think, actually, we should be more appreciative of our bodies as we get older. We should have more of a sense of wonder that there are all these parts of our bodies that are so vital and that are doing so much that we never even think about or see. And I reckon as you get older as a Christian, that is, as you get more mature as a Christian, you ought to have the same kind of sense of a growing appreciation for your spiritual body, that is, your church family, The more you grow as a Christian, I reckon, the more you should be able to look around at the people in your church and say, man, I really need that person in my life. And I can I can see that more now than I used to be able to, that I would be so much worse off without that person in my life. I actually think that the less mature you are as a Christian, the less 
you will appreciate and recognize your need for the other people in your spiritual body, your church family. It's a sign of Christian maturity, I reckon. The Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter, 1 Corinthians, to the church in Corinth, to a people who had a whole bunch of issues in the way they were relating to one another. There were some people in the church who were thinking to themselves, you know what, I just I don't fit in in this church. I'm not needed here. I just don't seem that important in this group of people. That was some people at Corinth. And on the other hand, there were other people who were thinking, I'm the most important person in the room, and really everybody else is just like a second-class citizen compared to me. They're not important. And, and this great malfunction was happening in the way that members of the body there in Corinth were relating to each other. And we've already seen some of that as we've been studying 1 Corinthians this term. We saw it last week in chapter 11 a little bit with this division happening socially between the rich and the poor. But here in chapter 12, it's a spiritual division that's the problem. Just have a look at the way that Paul not sure what they are, introduces uh, the topic here in chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. The gifts of the Spirit, that's what he's going to be talking about. And in particular, the narrow issue that he's going to be dealing with is related to the gift of tongues. That is, speaking in languages which nobody else can understand. And that's quite an impressive thing, really, isn't it? Uh, Speaking in a language that nobody else can understand. Well, that's dramatic, That does seem important. That seems like a very spiritual thing to have been given the ability to do. And so you can kind of imagine how a church could divide over that issue between the haves and the have-nots when it comes to that gift, some thinking they're more important than others. Now, I reckon as we come to this chapter and we start looking at this issue of speaking in tongues, it'd be very easy for us to get distracted by that issue and to fixate on that particular gift. But let's not make that mistake here because what Paul is going to do starting here in chapter 12 for the next three chapters is he is going to tell the church in Corinth that speaking in tongues, not that important. And actually, if you get fixated on it and you overvalue it, you're doing it wrong and you're just going to cause division. So let's not make the same mistake and get fixated on the particular presenting issue, that is the gift of tongues. Let's look at the, the issue beneath the issue, if you like. Here in chapter 12, Paul is going to try and correct their thinking and try and deal with this division that's happening in the church, this overvaluing of the gift of tongues. And the principle that Paul is going to teach them in verses 1 to 11, in the first half of the chapter, is actually a really simple principle for us to grasp. It's not hard at all to understand. So I'm going to tell you right now, this is what we're going to see in verses 1 to 11. It's that God gives gifts to all for others. That's the principle. Really simple. God gives gifts to all for others. That's what Paul is going to be teaching in the first half of the passage. And then from verse 12, he's just going to apply that truth. There's two application points, really. He's going to say, if that's true, well, then you ought to use your gifts and you ought to cherish the gifts of others. That's where he's going in the second half of the passage. So let's work through that today and see how Paul gets there. So the first point, that God gives gifts to all for others. Now, where Paul begins addressing this issue, he really starts at ground zero, at the most basic spiritual truth that there is when it comes to thinking about spiritual gifts. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, Therefore, I want you to know that no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 
Now, just to be clear, those little words, Jesus is Lord, those are not magic words that make you a Christian automatically. Anyone can say those words. You could put them in a pop song quite easily. Uh, But saying those kind of words and the idea behind them in the first century Corinth context, that was actually quite a strong political statement. Because if you're saying that Jesus is Lord, you're saying that Caesar is not. And you wouldn't just say that publicly because there was a cost associated with saying that. You would only say that Jesus is the king, my king, and I serve him alone. You'd only say something like that if God had done a work in your life. That's what would make you willing to put Jesus first, whatever personal cost that might entail. God's spirit is the thing that creates that kind of allegiance in someone. See, Everyone who is a Christian has the same starting point. This is why Paul starts here, because it's the Holy Spirit who gives us eyes to see that Jesus is the Savior that we need and the Lord that we must submit to. If you're a Christian, then we who are Christians have that as a spiritual similarity. We have that in common. But there are also spiritual differences between us as well. Look where he goes in verse 4. Verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. See, we have a diversity of gifts, service, working, all synonyms there, and they're given to us. They're kind of empowered by our diverse and yet unified God. Did you pick up on that? The the way God is described in these verses is in a Trinitarian kind of a way. He is the Spirit, verse 4, the Lord, verse 5, God himself, verse 6. The point is that our triune God has distributed these gifts to every single one of us. See there at the end of verse 6, and in everyone, it says, every single one, it is the same God at work. Every Christian has been given gifts from the Spirit. And look where he goes in verse 7, kind of says the same thing. He says, now to each one, that includes you if you're a Christian, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And I think verse 7 here, this is the heart of his point. This is the most important thing he's going to say in the first half of the chapter, that every gift that every Christian has received is not for them. Who's it for? It's for others, for the common good, for the building up of the church. That's why God has given gifts to all. Uh, Earlier this year, I did an escape room for the first time, and it was a great deal of fun. If you've never done an escape room, uh, the idea is that you and a small group of people get locked into a series of a few rooms, and there's a mystery that you've got to solve by figuring out clues, finding, uh, unpacking puzzles and that sort of thing. And you've got to work together to be able to progress through the rooms and escape in under an hour. And the only way to do that really is by cooperating. And so usually there's a lot of yelling going on in the escape room. You come out, your voice is pretty hoarse because you over here, well, you're trying to decipher some clues and then some, your teammate over there is in the corner looking through a bookshelf for a hidden lever. And then there's your other teammates in the corner trying to find the key that's going to unlock the thing that has the secret panel. And if you refuse to communicate in that kind of environment, you know, if if you're in that room just for yourself, you find the key and you really like it, so you put it in your pocket. Or or you've just got an interest in solving puzzles, and so let's find some puzzles and I'll do it and keep the answers to myself. 
Well, then that will be a very boring experience for everyone involved, won't it? You will lose. Paul is saying in, in this chapter, really with verse 7, that that's what some people do when it comes to spiritual gifts. They think, well, I've got my gift and I'm quite happy about that and I'll keep it to myself, thanks. If you refuse to use your gifts for the common good, then you lose and everyone loses because your gifts are given for the benefit of others. In fact, to keep your gifts for yourself shows that you don't actually understand your new identity as a Christian. Because as a Christian, you are not just an independent individual anymore. You now have actually a collective identity. You are now a child in God's family. You are a sheep in his flock. You are a brick in his temple. You are a body part in his body. And so you cannot, as a Christian, just think about yourself anymore. That individualistic way of thinking about your life has got to go. You have to think about your brothers and sisters. That is your new identity in Jesus. And that means that you have to use whatever you've been given for their good. Now, in verses 8 to 10, Paul starts to list out some of the things that you may have been given, a list there of some of the spiritual gifts, and they're quite dramatic kinds of things, things like prophecy and healing and miracles and distinguishing between spirits. And, and I, I think that this list here is just a sample list, really. I don't think this list is meant to be exhaustive. In fact, at the end of the chapter, you get a slightly different list of spiritual gifts, and in some of the other New Testament passages, they're different lists again. I think the point here is that these are just illustrative of the kinds of things that God gives. And so I, that is why I'm actually always a little bit cautious about those spiritual gift surveys. Maybe you've done those in the past where you, you, know, you answer a few questions. It feels a lot like a BuzzFeed kind of quiz. And then you get told at the end of it, well, you've got the gift of X, Y, or Z. I'm always a bit cautious about that because I think it makes these lists in the New Testament a bit too definitive. And it kind of boxes you in to thinking, well, I've got this one gift and I have to use it. And if I don't use the one gift that this thing's told me that I've got, well, then what am I doing here? I'd say just be cautious about these kind of spiritual gift quizzes and inventories. Uh, now, of those, those lists in verses 8 to 10 of all those miraculous spiritual gifts there, uh, I've spent quite a bit of time this week kind of thinking about those and reading about those and trying to figure out what do commentators say about what each of those gifts actually is. And if you want to know what I think each of those gifts actually refers to, I'm very happy to tell you. Uh, I'll give you my best answer, but I'm going to do it in the middle of the week on the podcast and deeper. Um, because I'll tell you now, the short answer is that for a lot of them, we just don't know. There is, in fact, no way of knowing what these things are. No New Testament way, that is. What's the difference between having a message of wisdom and a message of knowledge? The New Testament's not going to explain that one for you, so we kind of just have to shrug our shoulders a little bit. That's the short answer. I'll go into it more on Thursday, on Wednesday in the podcast. But I want you to see that what these gifts are is not the point of this passage. That's not Paul's point. That's not why he's writing this list. Because the thing that he keeps repeating in this list is where these gifts have come from. That all these gifts have come from the same spirit. You see the way that that's repeated there in verses 8 to 10. It's the same spirit who's distributed all these gifts. Have a look at verse 11. All these are the work of the one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one 
just as he determined. Every single gift in every single one of God's people has been placed there deliberately by God. God has looked at you and he has said, I think you need this gift. And he's looked at the person next to you and he said, I think you need this gift. And so you see that there's no use having that kind of attitude of gift envy, of thinking, oh, I, just, I wish I could do what that other person did. Well, God's chosen to give you that particular gift. And there's no use in having that attitude of gift projection either. Man, I just wish more people were like me and had the same kinds of skills and gifts and abilities that I did. No, that's nonsense because God has allocated the gifts out, hasn't he? And so it's only when this diversity of gifts are used together that we can escape the escape room, <laughs> that we can build the body of Christ, we can build the church together. You see, even though the church is made up of many different members, and we are a different, diverse group of people with many different gifts, we are all one through Jesus. That's where he goes in verses 12 to 14, where he keeps using those words over and over again. We're many and we are one. Five times talks about us being one. Three times talks about us being many. There is this diversity of gifts to build the one church. That's God's design. It's not a failure. It's God's plan. And so you see to the super spiritual Corinthians who were obsessing over the gift of tongues, well, Paul just wants them to remember that God's given gifts to every other Christian and he's done it deliberately in diversity and he's done it for the sake of others. That's the right kind of attitude. That's the principle that they and we have to grasp when it comes to thinking about these kind of spiritual differences between us. It's quite simple, really. God gives gifts to all for others. Now, where Paul goes, as I've said from here, is he just applies that truth. And so that's all I'm going to do for the rest of the time here is just try and help us to put flesh on that principle. Think about what it looks like to live in light of it. So if that's true, well, then what are we to do? Verses 15 to 20, that we cannot and should not and must not say in the body of Christ, I'm not needed. No Christian can say that. I am not needed. And really here from verse 15, he starts to address those people in the church who maybe feel like they're a little bit left out, feel like they're on the margins of church life, feel like they're pretty insignificant in the whole body of people, thinking, you know, do I have anything to offer here? So maybe this will be relevant for you tonight. Verse 15, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. See, we don't want everyone to be the same. We need there to be diversity. And he, he kind of makes his point by using this kind of grotesque and like comic image in verse 17. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? See, a body made out of eyeballs. It sounds like something out of a horror film, doesn't it? It's absurd. Think of how out of balance your body would be if it had an overabundance of eyes. I mean, you'd be so perceptive. Nothing would get past you. You'd be able to kind of process everything that came your way, but you wouldn't be able to do a thing about it, right? No hands, no feet. Nothing. You'd be useless if your whole body was an eye. Can I say in the same way, if, if the whole of WBC had the gift of teaching, this church would be a disaster. It really would. 
because nothing would ever get done. There would be no administration, no practical helping, no practical service. We would turn up to church one Sunday and the lights wouldn't turn on because somebody had forgotten to pay the electricity bill and there'd be food still all over the kitchen, over the floor because nobody had bothered cleaning it up after morning tea last Sunday. It'd be a disaster if we were all the same. Verse 18, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. He's kind of saying the same thing as verse 11, really. God's distributed them just as he determines, and he has not made a mistake. And so you, here tonight, if you are a Christian and if WBC is your church, then you, with whatever gifts you've got, you are crucial in the life of this church. You might sit here and think, oh, man, I don't have a lot to offer. But if you're part of this church family, then we need you. I need you. And you need us. Now, perhaps I can apply this a little bit more broadly, just from those people who perhaps are thinking, oh, I don't have much that I could contribute here. There are probably some people in that camp, a little bit down on themselves. But I reckon that there are probably others here tonight too who think, well, I know I have gifts and I know that I could serve, but it just doesn't seem that important. The church is fine without me and so, you know, I'll just sit back and just come along. There's probably a lot of people, I think, in, in that camp. Worse still, there may be people who think, yeah, I just can't be bothered serving. I'm not interested in helping other people for their good. But I, I reckon the majority of people are just thinking, well, I'm not needed. Like, the, the lights do turn on. There, there's someone preaching. There's a music team playing music. You know, how necessary can my contribution really be. I'm just a toe. You know, this body, it's off and running. Like, what use is my little toe here in this whole body? I want to say to you, if, if, if that's your attitude and you don't think that your contribution is crucial here, then you've misunderstood because sure, a body can run if it doesn't have toes, but it's, it's kind of be a bit loose, isn't it? It's going to be a bit unstable and off balance. The point is that, that this body, it might function okay, but it would function a lot better if you got involved. It's a kind of perverse idea, isn't it, to think about removing all the organs that you could possibly, and body parts you could possibly remove, and just seeing whether the body can keep standing. No one would do that. There's no sense in doing that. Sure, you might find where the breaking point is, where the body's just going to collapse without all of those internal organs, but what a strange way to live. Wouldn't you be much better thinking about how to make this body as healthy as possible, to, to give it every part that it is meant to have? That's how it's been designed, that every part of this body is needed, even you if you're a little toe. Uh, we had a, a meeting this week on Tuesday night with all of the ministry team leaders from across our church. And one of the things that we did at that meeting was that we gave thanks to God. Uh, for the many people in our church who are serving and contributing to the life and mission of this place. Uh, we ran some statistics. We discovered that about 54% of our adult members are serving in volunteer capacities here at church. That's wonderful. We are so thrilled about that. We want to give thanks to God for that. But we also did an audit as team leaders to try and figure out, well, how many actually vacancies do we have in our ministry teams? And the number that we discovered, just to be able to do really what we're doing currently, 
is that we are down about 30 or 35 volunteers. There are 30 or 35 empty spots in our ministry teams that we need people to step in just to maintain what we're doing. And that's to say nothing of next year when our morning service multiplies into two morning services and suddenly we have a whole need for a whole other children's program and everything else as well. You might sit there and think, well, the body, it seems to be running along fine without me. I'm here to tell you there are massive needs. You may not be able to see them, but they're there. In the body of Christ, you cannot say, I'm not needed. You cannot say, I'll just be a passenger. You cannot say, I'll just turn up to church and that's it. Now, if you'll let me for a couple of minutes, I really just want to twist the knife on that a little bit. It's a loving twist of the knife. There's good intentions behind this. But I want to spend a bit of time just addressing a few different groups of people, demographics within our church. I want to say, if you're here tonight and you're a teenager, please don't just turn up to church. Uh, If you are a Christian and if WBC is your church, then we need you. So where are you serving if you're a teenager? Uh, It has been genuinely a great joy over the last 12 months, I think, to see more teenagers come and join in serving here at WBC than I can ever remember happening before. It's been wonderful. But if you're not part of that, then I encourage you to consider where you might get involved. Or maybe at the other end of the spectrum, the other demographic up the other end. If you're here and you're an older saint, please don't just turn up to church. Don't say, I'm not needed. Because we do need you. We need what you bring to the body. You as an older saint have such a wealth of wisdom and faith and experience, and we need that. We need you to keep reminding us of what it looks like to serve Jesus and to serve his people over the long run. Please don't just turn up. Or if you're here and you're a uni student or you're perhaps a young young worker, please don't just turn up. Uh, if, if you're only going to be in Wollongong studying or working or whatever for a few short years, it can be very tempting to think to yourself, I won't bother getting too involved because I'm going to be exiting in 24 months anyway, so I'll just sit on the sidelines and be a bit of a passenger. And I know as a young adult how many things there are that compete for your time and your energy and your finances and all sorts of things, good things that compete for your energy. But can I lovingly remind you to not just think about yourself as you think about where your time is going. Your church family needs you. Without you, we cannot reach the maturity that God calls us to reach. And so I want to challenge you, if you're a uni student or a young adult, to prioritize your place amongst us here, your church family, your spiritual body, and serving those people for their good. If you're here tonight and you are someone who's been born outside of Australia, someone for whom English is a second language, please don't just turn up to church. I I know how tricky it can be for that language barrier to prevent people from getting further involved, but we really, really long to see people from more diverse backgrounds getting involved in serving and leading here at WBC. If you are in Christ, then you are part of this body and we need you. If you'd like to have a chat with us about how to get involved, what that might look like for you, now's a great time to have that chat because we, we're getting ready for launching Term 1 next year. Come and have a chat to me after the service if you'd like to find out about some of those opportunities.
But you cannot sit there tonight and say that you're not needed. That's the big lesson that Paul is applying to us. The second application is much quicker. You can't say you're not needed. And secondly, you cannot also say that they're not needed. You can't exclude other people and say that they are superfluous or that they are an appendix. Read from verse 21 with me. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. It seems like this group in Corinth, who were probably the same group of people in chapter 11, who thought themselves as like the social elite, you know, the the wealthy leaders in society, they viewed themselves, it seems like, as the leaders of the church. They were the, the core group. They were the really powerful and important ones. They thought that they were the only ones that mattered and everyone else, well, they were just an attender. And, well, you can come along, but, you know, don't bother getting too involved. We don't really need you. It seems like that's the attitude that Paul is addressing here. And isn't that just such a ridiculous thing to believe as a Christian? (laughs) To think that the gifts that you have somehow make you more important as a Christian. That's ludicrous. Because to point out the obvious, a gift is something that is given to you freely. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's given to you. A gift says nothing about you. If anything, a gift reveals something about the one who gave it to you, but it doesn't say anything about your importance, which means that the Corinthians are just so totally wrong to look around the room and to see those differences and then to look at themselves and say, well done us, aren't we great? No, you look at those differences and you should say, well done God. Thank you, God, for making us such a diverse group. That's the right attitude. Verse 22. Paul says, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. There are some parts of our bodies that are weak. I mean, an eyelash is quite weak. You don't use your eyelash for an awful lot. You certainly don't use it for heavy lifting. But it is very useful, isn't it? Keeps your eyes protected. Paul is kind of saying here, just, just don't be childish in the way that you evaluate other people. Don't just prize the things that are really obvious and and say that you don't really need those others because God grants honour to those who lack it. So don't ignore the unpresentable parts of the body, the less impressive and weak parts. Uh, In practical terms, if I can spell it out, I think what Paul means here is just don't be impressed by the people who are loud and charismatic. Uh, Don't be too impressed, for instance, with the preachers. Uh, When when People have demonstrable gifts, perhaps someone who might be up the front in some way. Don't be overly impressed with those kind of people. Be impressed with the people that God is impressed with. Those who serve behind the scenes, who pray, who give, who visit the sick, who help people move house, who cook meals for new parents, who meet up and comfort those who are struggling. Be impressed with them. You may not see those parts of the body. They're not obvious. Don't be childish. Don't just cherish the things that are visible and seemingly impressive. Uh, I shared this morning that it it is a real privilege as a preacher here uh, that when I get to share the Bible with people, I'm often thanked for doing so. And that's lovely. It's very encouraging. But I really do hope that if, if you're someone who comes and thanks the preacher when they preach, that for every word of thanks you direct to us, that you direct at least two words of thanks elsewhere to the people who are serving in, in less obvious capacities. Uh, wouldn't it be great for us to have a church culture where we noticed and we thanked each other for that kind of quiet, behind-the-scenes acts of service? Let me ask you, when did you last express 
your thanks, your gratitude? When did you esteem others who use their gifts quietly to build the church? God wants those parts of the body to be honoured, and so should we, because every part contributes. Every part is needed. Verse 25 says that God has arranged things this way so that there should be no division amongst us in the body but that its parts have equal concern for each other and if one part suffers every part suffers with it if one part is honored every part rejoices with it i think as our service comes to an end in a few minutes time it would be really worthwhile for you just to pause and to look around the room and to notice the faces of the people who are here and to say to yourself This is my body. You are part of my body. If you hurt, I hurt. If you rejoice, I rejoice. If you flourish, I flourish. I need you and you need me. That's a mature attitude to try and cultivate. So what are we to do? Verse 27, we should value every single part of this body, this body of Christ. There are a variety of gifts, verse 28. We're not all apostles No gift is common to everyone, but what does Paul say? Verse 31, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now he's going to go on and explain quite what that means in the next couple of chapters, but basically the greater gifts are the gifts that build the church. Be concerned with those gifts for the welfare of other people. And as he finishes this chapter, the second half of verse 31, he says, yet I will show you the most excellent way. And then next week we come to chapter 13, which is really the heart of this whole letter, which is all about love. Because really this issue, this division around spiritual gifts here, we could, we could just leave it all aside and stop talking about these gifts if we focused on loving one another. That would solve it. If your concern is to love the other members of your body with the kind of love that Paul talks about in chapter 13, that love that is kind and not envying and not proud and patient, that doesn't dishonor others, that's not self-seeking, not easily angered, that keeps no record of wrongs, if you have that kind of love towards the other members of your body, then you will use your gifts to serve and to build up and to unify the church of God. Because that's the kind of love that our Saviour showed us, isn't it? (laughs) What a relief that Jesus didn't say, yeah, you know what, I am pretty gifted. I I am pretty impressive and I don't really need you, so I don't think I want to serve you. What a relief that Jesus didn't say that. And that instead his attitude was to give himself for us. God has given gifts to all for the sake of others. So, friends, use your gifts and cherish the gifts of others. Let me pray for us. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you that you have showed us the way in sending your Son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he laid down his life as a ransom for many, that he purchased men and women for you by his blood. But thank you too that he has demonstrated the kind of sacrificial service that we are to have if we follow in his footsteps. God, we confess sins of pride and selfishness and laziness that we have not considered your body and our part in it. 
God, you please fill us by your spirit so that all the good things you've given us would be used for the building up of one another. We long to see this body flourish because we know if they flourish, then we will too. So please make us that kind of a church. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.